it's a new birth into a what? A living hope. Somebody say a living hope. Thank you. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, somebody say this inheritance. Thank you. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation or coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let's stop here just for a moment and make sure that we get this. Somebody say a living hope. Thank you. There is a living hope today that we have in Christ. This living hope comes from the reality of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This living hope ensures that we will rise again as Christ rose from the dead. Even in this time before we rise from the dead in this life, we have the resurrection of a new spirit. How many have been born again? Amen. Born again means that your dead spiritual life has come to life and now you have a new life. That which was once dead is now alive. That which was once evil is now holy. That which was once sinful is now saintly. How many saints do I have in the house this morning? Amen. But if you look at what it says in verse 6, it says you have something to rejoice about. And that's true. How many rejoice in everything we just said? Amen. Would you highlight verse 6, please? In this or in all of this, you greatly rejoice. So you rejoice that you've been born again. You rejoice that you're going to see Christ in heaven when you die. And you rejoice that you're going to be physically raised from the dead and you're going to rule and reign with Christ. One more time, how many rejoice in that? Amen. In the beginning part of our verse, it says, praise God. That's what we're doing. We're praising God and we're rejoicing in those realities. I don't just have faith in that. I know it's factual. Sometimes people think that a faith is different than a fact. I have faith in the fact that I am standing on a platform and that the platform will hold me up. How many know that faith in a fact is reality? That's a good faith to have. If you walked around without faith in the facts of the world, you wouldn't be able to leave your house. And sadly, that's what a lot of people with phobias deal with, is they're not able to have faith in the facts of the world, and so they think every time they leave their house, they're going to get sick or they're going to die, and they live with all of these phobias, and they become an agoraphobic person, and they become homebound, and they can't get outside. So everybody, listen to me, has faith in different things. They have faith in the car that they're driving, that the wheels aren't going to fall off at 80 miles an hour. Can I hear an amen? They have faith that when they put food into their mouth, someone hasn't swapped it out with poisonous food like a parent who got mad at them the night before. Come on, children. Can I hear an amen for trusting parents not to poison your food? And you put it in your mouth, and you trust that someone in the back of the restaurant or your family or your husband, how many know that's gone wrong sometimes? People have poisoned each other, husbands and wives. And we eat food. We take faith in those facts. Now, sometimes we have faith in things that are not facts and fiction. We put faith in superstition. We put faith in our friends, and our friends don't have the, faith, uh, the fact to back up their, their word, and they break the word. So our faith has been abused. 
The same thing is with hope. They're synonymous. We hope that today, after this service, that America is still going to be a free nation and you're not going to be arrested for carrying your Bible down the street. Amen? But how many know that can change and your hope can be disappointed? You had somebody at one point had faith that we wouldn't all be locked up because of a little flu-like illness, but we were all locked up. So at times, you have to deal with the reality and not put your faith in fiction, but put your faith in fact. And when people don't put their faith in fact, they put their faith in fiction, they get let down all the time. And so like, for example, after COVID, we don't have as much faith in our government to do what's right because they've done us wrong a few times. Can I hear an amen to that? And as you start to raise kids, you start to get more hip to the game. You start to check that phone, amen? You start to check what's on that, that, that pad. You start to check what they've been watching on YouTube as you get around the game a little bit. So not all faith is the same. The right kind of faith, the right kind of hope is to have faith and hope in the facts of God's reality, the hard facts of God's reality. I'm not just wishing upon a star that I get to meet Jesus one day. I have faith in the fact that he was buried and raised again from the dead, amen? So I have faith in that fact. So don't let anybody uh, try to tell you that, you know, they don't have faith, and they're above faith, and they only believe in science. You have to have faith that science will work. When you go into the laboratory, you have to believe you're actually in a laboratory and that your brain is not in an alien's laboratory. How many know that the scientist has to believe in something called reality? How do they know they're not in the matrix? So just to do science, the scientists had to wake up that morning and have a whole bunch of faith performed in their normal life. They had to have faith that their car could get them to where they were at. That took faith. They had to have faith that when they got to the laboratory that it wasn't going to blow up. They had to have faith that they were in their body, not a brain in a vat. They had to have faith in those facts. But those were reality, amen? And that was a good faith. And so it's not that we go against reality. Now, God's reality can supervene our reality. And the way I like to talk about this is imagine you and I are playing a video game I can now supervene my will into that reality. How many have ever played a video game and did something other than get stuck in a wall and just move like this? Well, you know you play with the noob. Well, I'll play with my wife, and she's like, oh, what's going on? I can't do anything. And she's running right in front of a wall, you know? It's like, no, that's not how the video games work. So let's go back. And we did for her. Let's go all the way back to Super Mario Brothers horizontally. We're not going to put you in the, the 3D realm. You know, you just got to go back and forth and jump. Just move forward and jump. That's all you got to do, okay? Well, we supervene into that reality. Well, how many know that your reality is greater than the video game's reality? Your reality, this world, is greater than the video game. But I always like to say when we think about God's reality, imagine now him stepping out or stepping back from where we are here into his greater reality of the heavenly throne. You see, God can interact between those realities. He can come from the heavenly realm into our realm and interact with us. How many have faith in that? So is it any wonder that Jesus could rise from the dead? No, it's no wonder because our God can interact into this world with supernatural power. If your Mario person died, can you raise him from the dead in the video game? Yeah, he comes right back, doesn't he? And if you were the coder, you could make it. you make him float on a cloud up into the sky? Yeah, if you were the coder, you could make Mario go. Where's Mario going? Mario's going to heaven. And we look at this, and then we say that, you know, that's more real than our God. No, our God is more real than your reality is right now. God's world created this world. In other words, we're in God's video game. 
We are in God's virtual reality. We are in God's metaverse. We are in God's second reality. God's first reality is where his throne is at. So I say all of that just for you to understand in the 21st century, you're not crazy to believe in a God who can intervene, who can raise his son from the dead, ascend him to heaven, and do miracles. You're rejoicing in something that is worth rejoicing in. You're putting your faith in something that is noble and admirable. You have a living hope that is powerful, and you should rejoice in that. Can I hear an amen if you rejoice in that? But that's not where this verse ends. Highlight the rest of it now. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer all kinds of grief and all kinds of trials. You see, this is now where we're at. We're in the shadow land. We are in the valley of the shadow of death. We have a resurrected Jesus, an empty cross, and an empty tomb. And at the same time, we are walking around in this world, and we're seeing death. We're seeing destruction. We're seeing the, the powers of evil on display. The Bible says one of the signs of the end times is that nation would rise up against nation. That Greek word for nation is ethnos. What does that sound like in the English word? Uh, ethnicity. Ethnicity. There we go. It sounds like ethnic groups, doesn't it? That's actually what it means. Ethnic groups will rise up against ethnic groups. They'll fight each other. And right now we are seeing that on display. Whether it's just Ukraine and Russians, two of the same people, but a little bit of difference just between their culture and they're already at war with each other. We have seen this in the Middle East where Muslims have killed their own people. We have seen all kinds of wars and these things are prophesied and you're watching them even now. And we do this still or we live this in this life rejoicing and praising God and having our living hope because we know that that doesn't change what God promised he's going to do. Just because there's wars and there's rumors of wars doesn't take away our living hope. Matter of fact, the Bible says these things will come. These things are going to be normal to our life. So when we become Christians, we don't start living in a bubble and now we think, well, it's all just going to be a yellow brick road. The death, burial, and resurrection doesn't just give us hope for life. Listen to me here. The death, burial, and resurrection also teaches us how to suffer. I know that's what many of you don't want to hear on Easter about suffering, but can I encourage you to have a living hope even in, in the midst of your suffering? Look at the rest of these verses now. Verse 7, these have come. What are these things that have come? These trials, these griefs. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So notice the pattern here. Jesus comes and suffers, and then he's glorified. You now are a Christian. You're going to suffer, and then you'll be glorified. How many want to follow Jesus now? <laughs> it's not maybe as, uh, as fun as an Easter egg hunt with the pastor dressed up as an Easter bunny out in the parking lot, but it's going to encourage you come Monday morning when you get some bad news, won't it? Because you will get bad news this week. We'll get it every week. And I'm not trying to speak anything evil over you. I'm just saying we always get bad news, don't we? It always comes. 
People do us wrong. The world changes. I don't know about you, but I was just thinking to myself, if we could just get past COVID, we'll be all right. And then the riots started. Okay, if we could get past COVID and the riots, we'll be all right. And then finally, COVID and the riots in, and then now there's war. Okay, when does it stop? I can see our ancestors speaking from the grave of history saying, it never does. This is what life is like. Sometimes you'll meet somebody, and I feel so much compassion for them, but they wear their losses on a sleeve, and I, and I do feel compassion for them. Maybe you've met people like this. You ask them how they're doing. They say, oh, not good. I lost my aunt this year. I lost my cousin this year. Just last night, I lost my grandma. Have you ever met anybody like that? You know what you can say back to them, but please don't be compassionate, but you know what you can say back to them? Stick around a while. You're going to lose everybody because we're all going to die. <laughs> We don't want to hear that on resurrection. <laughs> We're all going to die. <laughs> what did you learn this morning in Easter? We're all going to die. That's what we learned. Right. We're all going to die. No. But I mean, it's serious. They've told you all of their problems, all the people they've lost, and you just need to be honest with them. Stick around for a while because we're all going to die. We don't get out of here alive. You have to die to go to heaven unless he comes back in Jesus' name. Are you listening? And so, okay, well, we're rejoicing. If you can make sure we're seeing verse 5 there as well. Listen, we're rejoicing in verses 5 and onward because God is good to us. We rejoice because he's given us all of these wonderful things. But we also rejoice in verse 6 in our trials and tests. In verse 7 that we can have praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That this is how we honor the resurrection of Jesus. This is how we do it. Not just in our presentation on an Easter service. We used to try to pack out our services on Easter, and it just got to be where the people who normally come to the church didn't enjoy it so much because they had to become Jesus in the play. They had to whip each other. They had to do all of these things. It took them months to prepare. Then when Easter come, they would all be burned out needing more of Jesus. Everybody fighting for a seat. So we just started to say, hey, you know what? Let's just keep our services basically the same, but do some presentations. Let's honor the Lord during this time. And we may go back to those bigger things as our facility gives us the ability to do that and or people actually like dressing up like Jesus and beating one another. <laughs> and I'm, I'm telling you that with all sincerity, man. I've showed up to some of those play practices and Jesus is not to be found in any one of them. The one even dressing up like Jesus ain't like Jesus no more. They all fighting and having problems. Everybody saying their life's falling apart. Had to spend three months preparing for that. Watch these on YouTube sometimes when they bring in the wild animals to the church. Camels have gone wrong. Donkeys have gone wrong. I'm telling you the truth. They've made messes and hurt people before. Watch, watch the one with the camel in the church. Just put camel in a church. Funny video, and you'll see how those things have gone wrong. And then there's also funny ones. Pastors coming from the ceiling. Everybody seen that one? There's a couple floating around right now. Pastors trying to be angels, hitting people on the way down, coming from the rafters. That's what you do when the Holy Ghost is not enough. Ah, no, I've done it before. But. but is that just how we honor the Lord at Resurrection Sunday? I mean, those things are fine. But that's not really how we honor the Lord for resurrecting. 
how you honor him is you greatly rejoice in all of the things you're hoping and have faith in. And at the same time, and highlight verse 7 too, please, you also rejoice in the trials and the tests because you know your faith, which is in the fact of God's word, is going to result in praise, glory, and honor. That's why we go through our trials and tests with faith. Faith in the facts that one day our bodies will be raised from the dead. That's why we don't mourn like the way the world mourns. Amen? That's why we're not afraid of death. That's why we say to death, where is your sting? That's why when we go to the hospitals and we pray for the sick, we know that Jesus is the healer, whether in this life or in the world to come. We will keep our faith and trust in him. That's why even in the midst of turmoil with wars and rumors of wars, we're sending out missionaries. One of the missionaries we support in this church went to Poland to work at the border of Ukraine and to help the people there. Can I hear an amen? That's why we're there as Christians, serving. And that's why tomorrow and this week and this year, whenever you get bad news or whenever something doesn't go your way or whenever people mistreat you, you're going to have something to rejoice in even then. Because you're going to know that what you're going through has a purpose. There are no tears wasted in the kingdom of God. There is no pointless pain. All pain has a purpose. All the pain that Christ went through was for our healing. By his stripes we are healed. Through his crucifixion we're set free from our sin. We're set free from our sorrows. Jesus bore it for us. So there's no wasted pain. There is no wasted suffering. At the same time, some people have a martyr's complex. They think that if they're not suffering, they're not doing something right. Or then they become superstitious and think if they're uh, suffering, then that means they did something wrong. So both are misunderstandings of suffering. One person says, I can never be blessed. I can never have money in my bank account. I always have to be suffering for Jesus. And then the other one says, oh, I must be suffering. I must be losing my job because I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you've lost your job because you came late and didn't know how to do it well. That's why you lost your job. That has nothing to do with Jesus. The sinner is better than you. Stop being a loser and be a winner with Jesus. Amen? And I don't mean like you're a loser in your spiritual state and you're a bad person. I'm just saying like you're losing at that part of your life. Can I get an amen for that clarification? And even if you were a loser, Jesus loves losers. Amen? But you're not. You're a winner in Jesus' name. You can make it. Yeah, but that's why we get fired most of the time, Christians. That's why we're disliked is because we're not good at what we do, and then we blame it on suffering. And then others of us, and I felt this too because I have a martyr's complex. Oh, I can't live out in the suburbs. I have to live on Potomac and Lawndale for the rest of my life. That's where I have to be because if I'm not suffering with Chicago, I don't love Chicago. Come on, I had to get my blessings and be okay with it. Can I hear an Amen. Now, if you don't want to live in the suburbs and you want to live on Potomac and Lawndale, love, live there and love it in Jesus' name. But I'm just telling you, I wanted to get out of a place where they threw bricks at my car and where they were selling drugs in front of my window. But I had to get over it. Like, I remember a pastor telling me, why are people in Chicago going to come to your church? You don't even live in Chicago. And I'm like, why would we listen to Jesus? Jesus is not from earth. He's from heaven. You know why? Because he loved us to come where we're at. I'm coming where you're at, baby. And if you want to live where I'm at, come live where I'm at. I don't care. I'm not here to judge how you spend your money. But yet we all feel that in some ways if we've been brought up a certain way. Well, I didn't pray enough today. 
I didn't read my Bible. I didn't do this. And maybe that's true, but I'm talking about condemnation. We don't know how to be blessed. We don't know how to live our life as God is blessing us. We feel like we have to compare it to other people's suffering. So both attitudes are wrong. One person says, I'm suffering because it's, a, uh, it's because of Christ. And no, it's just because you're not good at life in a lot of ways. And then others are saying, man, I better suffer. I better suffer. I, I can't have anything more than my neighbor. Oh, you take the promotion, you know, because that's what Christians do. We suffer. No, be the best you can be in Jesus' name. I want you to have the promotion so you can give more and do more for Christ. And then once again, how you live your life is between you and the Lord. But notice these things. We're rejoicing in the midst of our sufferings. Not pretend sufferings, real sufferings. I don't know about you, but I have felt at different times that when I'm suffering, I feel at those times that I'm far from Christ because I don't feel him like I do in those moments when everything was going well. Oftentimes, we are tempted to walk away from Christ in suffering. I know many of us would say, well, yes, yeah, suffering has brought me the closest to Christ. I'll get to that in a moment. But let's be honest with our first feelings of when we encounter suffering as Christians. Do you relate to what I'm saying? You don't have to raise your hand, but here's how it feels for me. In my early moments of suffering, before I get spiritual and check in, is I feel like maybe God has left me. Maybe I have done something wrong, and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I remember when um, we had issues with our building on Irving and Pulaski, and, uh, you know, I was just having to make some tough calls when I was out there, and I felt like my prayers as I would pray would hit the ceiling and come right back down. I was suffering. I remember uh, when I was a single man, and I was dating a young lady that I thought would be my wife, and she cheated on me. And it broke my heart in a million pieces. And I had to go back to being a bachelor to the rapture. I wish I could tell you that I felt this close to God in that moment. But those feelings were so strong that I felt like when I prayed, my prayers went right to the ceiling and back. You don't have to say amen, but you can listen. <laughs> if you want to say amen, you can. Have you ever felt that way? You see, in suffering... We don't instantly, let's be honest, we don't instantly gravitate towards rejoicing and seeing Christ. The pain sometimes is more than we understand at that moment. We hear these voices inside our head that become more real to us than the voice of faith or the voice of encouragement. And that's why I can see it on your faces oftentimes when I come to preach. I've been doing this now. Uh, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. This is now my uh, 23rd Easter as a senior pastor. Can you give it up for Jesus? Amen. I started pastoring a church at 22 years old. This is the 23rd Easter service that I have led up by God's grace. And I can see it on people's faces especially those who, like me, carry a lot of enthusiasm in their normal life. I can see it as a pastor when you come to church and your countenance has changed. I can see it when you're not praising and worshiping like you used to. And I can be honest with you as a pastor, I've been there too. I know what it's like. Because what it feels like is it feels like the reality of your test is greater than the reality of God and his blessings for your life. The reality of that fire is burning so much that you can't see that it's going to result in the praise and glory and honor for Jesus Christ. And so we call this the dark night of the soul. People call it, uh, you know, different things. And they say that during these times that they have had to question their faith. But can I be honest with you here? 
A sign of maturity is to know that Christ is with you at the beginning before you get desperate in the middle and towards the end. Our maturity needs to be able to understand that the feelings are not the facts. That the feelings are actually that which is deceiving us. And therefore, if we are led by those feelings, we will find ourselves far away from God and the place that he actually has for us. Because sometimes, and I say this with all grace and humility, we need our faith to be tested with fire. Because many people's faith is nothing nothing more than wishing by the well. I remember one time when my friend, who's a great prosperity preacher, came over and he was telling me about what was going on in his life and ministry. And he couldn't reveal to me any points of pain, any points of pressure. All he could do was give me the testimony of every single mountaintop. And I remember speaking to him in such a way as saying, listen, man, I'm actually not getting encouragement from all of these mountaintop experiences. It's actually hurting me. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. You're making me feel like I'm doing something wrong. Whenever I talk to you, it's mountaintop, mountaintop, mountaintop. I said, brother, could you please tell me about some of these valleys that you've been through? That's what I want to talk about. Not that I want to give glory to the suffering, but I want to give glory to God in the midst of suffering. I want to know if you can hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. I don't want to know about you having just a thousand people at Easter. I want to know if you can watch your church lose a hundred and you still love them. Tell me about how you lost a hundred and you still loved them. Other, otherwise, I'll think every day you're gaining a thousand. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's why they say in the real world people get depressed looking at Instagram because all we're doing is putting our highlight reels there. They're not putting up there the fights that that you know, couple is happening behind the doors. They're not, the child is not putting them taking their anxiety medicine there. You know, this is just a facade. And yet the Bible is telling us that's not how we live. So the more mature we become in Christ is the more that we realize that there will be suffering. Now, at the same time, we don't live in the suffering for the suffering's sake. And some people continually live with that cloud over their head. As I mentioned before, unless they're suffering, they're not living for Jesus. And then I have friends like that that I also spoke to. I remember one pastor, I went to preach for him in Atlanta. Somebody say, Hot Atlanta, baby. Come on, Hot Atlanta, baby. I was there preaching for him in the inner city. And I was talking to him about my life as a young man. I was probably in my early 20s, 24, 25. And I was like, man, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. This man was in his 40s. He had kids and ministry. So tell me what your life is like. And he told me, man, he said, I got ministry 24-7. He said, I, I, I go to the inner city. I pick them up on a bus, the homeless. I bring them to the church. I then feed them. I then pastor them. I take care of them. If they can't find a place to stay, I let them come stay at my house. Some can't get into the house. It's too late. So I'll let them sleep on my yard and in the front yards. This is what he told me. God bless them, right? And then he said, I get up and I do it again. And I'm listening to him as a young man, and I'm like, That sounds cool, but do you do anything else? (laughs) Like, 
Is there anything else you do, man? Because everything you just told me is ministry, ministry, ministry. And I just, as a young man, I just want to know, do you ever go out and do something other than ministry? And the guy rebuked me. I'm being honest with him. He said, man, you don't need that. You'll do all that when you get to heaven. That was the first pastor that I brought to do a pastor's conference with me. And he ended up cheating on his wife at that conference. Wife come looking for him in my city as this guy came to catch a flight where I was at. Talk about a destructive ending to that story. But you know what I realized early on as a young man is that people who put out that kind of suffering servant mentality, that, man, that martyr's mentality, oftentimes are hiding their own pain on the inside. That brother should have looked at me and said, man, I love the homeless. I love taking care of them, but they're crazy sometimes, man. I got to go out here to the beach and get some rest. Are you all listening? I got to take a moment to be with my boobster boo. I got to be with my wife and my kids. And by the way, the kids had miserable testimonies about dad never being there as well. So you won the world, preacher, but you lost your family and your soul. Was it worth it? Oftentimes we think to ourselves, unless we're suffering this way, we cannot be under God's blessing. So let me just make sure I balance this as a good pastor. It's okay to take a vacation. We never take vacations from God. Take God with you on the vacation. Have Jesus at the beach house. Amen? Make time to go to church in that city. Well, we're on vacation. We don't need to go to church. Well, they don't have churches in that city. Well, they don't have churches in Florida. It's Sunday. You go to church even if you're on vacation. Can I hear an amen? Okay. So you don't take a vacation from Jesus, but you understand ushers can take a break from ushering. Sound men can take a break from being a sound man. You can take a break from your everyday life. But this is all a part of the balanced life, knowing what true suffering is and knowing in the midst of that true suffering not to let go of your hope and your faith which is based on the facts of God's word. Look at verse 8. Look at Peter talking to his disciples. Let it encourage the disciples here today. He says, though you have not seen him. See, these disciples hadn't seen him. Like Peter and the first disciples, the original ones saw him, the OGs. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving right now in this moment the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can I hear an amen? We're not just waiting for the resurrection. We're not just waiting for heaven to see salvation. Salvation starts now in your soul, and it gives you joy inexpressible, or in another translation, unspeakable. You can't even put it into words. You can't express it, and it's full of glory. I don't know about you, but I have woken up some mornings with that inexpressible joy and full of glory, and people have thought I was crazy in my house, dancing and singing. My kids will testify, but other days I haven't felt it. There are some days I do, and some days I don't. But has that changed the reality that I have it? No, I still have it. When we stop living by our feelings, but we live by our faith, I believe the feelings will begin to follow more. 
In other words, a sign of your maturity and my maturity will be every day we have an expressible and glorious joy, whether we feel it or not, and the more we have faith that it's ours, we will begin to feel it more and more and more. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm just saying the way you believe about joy will impact how you receive joy. If you wake up in the morning and you let your body tell you how to feel, you might feel old and sore, and you might feel like life's not going your way because you're doing the same old, same old at the same old place for the same old paycheck with the same old people. But if you wake up every morning saying, Jesus, I thank you for inexpressible and glorious joy that's mine right now, I can't promise you that you'll feel it in that moment. But I can promise you, as you do that day by day, you will feel more inexpressible and glorious joy than you ever have before. Because joy will follow your faith. Your faith and your hope will go beyond the scope of your human limitations. That's a good preacher one-liner. Your faith and hope can go beyond the scope of your human limitations. And so this is how now I look inwardly and judge my own self as I grow in Christianity, lest I be deceived. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. The Bible talks about examining yourself, examining your heart. Here's how I examine my heart to make sure that I'm doing this right. I look at the joyometer of my life. I can always tell when somebody's about ready to backslide because the joy-o-meter runs low in their life. They may be tired, I get it, but they don't have to have that attitude. That attitude is showing that they're missing the gratitude that they should have towards Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. I can always tell in preachers when I'm going to hear from them they're no longer pastoring but they're selling insurance because all they do now is complain about the ministry. I can tell that we're going to lose a member or a disciple when all they do is backbite, have troubles with the leaders. It's only but a short step from there before they're out the door. And yet those who have a high joy-o-meter filling, who their tank is full, they can go through the worst things in life, and I can count on them to be faithful. I've watched leaders in this church bury their family and those closest to them, and yet still be full of joy and glory, because they've learned that the secret of their success is not just having faith and hope when everything goes their way, but understanding how to have faith and hope in the midst of trials and tests. That's going to determine whether or not you're truly honoring Christ as the resurrected Lord. Christ rose from the dead. Can he rise up a good attitude in you this morning? Christ rose from the dead. Can he rise up hope for your children to live for him this morning? Christ rose from the dead. Can he rise up marriages of wives and husbands loving each other? You see, because Christ rose from the dead, death is defeated, and all that death is, all that death has touched in our lives and in our minds has been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our minds are rising to another level as we go from glory to glory. Our heart and emotion is rising with Christ. 
And so that the suffering of this world is not that which we fear, but is now another opportunity to glorify God. Bring it on, devil. You're just giving me the chance to upgrade my faith. As my kid says with uh, Fortnite, I'm getting more V-Bucks. I'm getting more upgrades. Come on, devil, in Jesus' name. I'm not afraid now of this next test. I'm not walking around, everybody get this, thinking that the world is supposed to be perfect and that if something goes wrong, that's abnormal. I'm ready for a world to be as crazy as possible and I'm going to bring the normality of faith to every situation. I'm not going to say, oh, it's just another thing that went wrong. Oh, I just wish this would go right. You don't know my week. I'm going to say, oh, this is another opportunity to have my, my faith tested and approved to be shown more praiseworthy than it's ever been to get honor from God. In other words, soldiers aren't made to just practice war. They're made to go to war. You aren't made just to live in a bubble. God rebirthed you to fight a good fight of faith and to win it in Jesus' name. You were called and I was called to be in the fight of faith and to fight it every day and to win it in Jesus' name. So a fight for us should not be odd, but it is for many who think that the church should be a cruise ship. And that's why when the rough sea comes, they get disturbed. I thought I was on a cruise ship. When friends don't like them and they start to see some, you know, some bombs being lobbed over the side, they thought they were up there just playing shuffleboard. But how many know in the Navy when that alarm goes off and they start to hear the sound of the weapons of the enemy, that's what they were there for. Let's get it on in Jesus' name. See, it's your mindset that will make the difference. Even now in neurotherapy, they counsel people with anxiety and fears through bringing them to the point of those fears and showing them that they're more than capable, uh, capable of going through it. They call it exposure therapy. If you're afraid of riding on a plane, you have two options. You can never ride on a plane or you can face your fears of riding on a plane. Which one is it? And the people who say, well, I, I would like to go to Hawaii one day. I really would. Okay, let's face it. And they put you into the counseling chair, and they say, first thing we're going to do is just learn how to put on a seatbelt in a plane. And then here's the seatbelt. They have it designed there in the, in the room. Click. And then they'll put on speakers. Now, here are the sounds of the plane. And even some that are more advanced will have heart monitors on them. And they will be able to see, the person will be able to see on the outside, what's happening on the inside? As they hear the sound of the plane and they click in, they'll start to see their heart racing. And the good doctor that is there will say, now listen, you're still here in my office, but I want you to see how you're reacting to this. Nothing is wrong. You're right here. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's do some techniques to help you calm yourself. Take control. Renew your mind. And then you'll see them walk through these steps until they can actually get on a plane. There was a whole documentary done about a team that took people from the fear of flying, from flying from one place in California to the next. How many know our God is able to do that and then some? You see, you and I could say, well, I'm afraid of that situation. There may come suffering. I'm just going to sit right here with my two feet on the ground and let life pass me by. 
Or you can begin to take steps of faith. Even if your faith is the size of a mustard seed, you begin to take those steps of faith. What is God calling you to do by faith today? Take those steps of faith. Some men are afraid of marriage. Here's the first step of faith, men. Stop having sex outside of marriage, and you'll start to love marriage a lot more. Just seriously, think about it. All the men that are afraid of marriage, I always ask them this, but are you having sex? (laughs) Yeah, I'm having sex. So you ain't afraid of sex. You're afraid of the commitment. Yeah, I'm afraid of commitment. Okay, stop having sex and watch how your mind will start to change about the commitment. Because they'll start to think to themselves, if I want that, I got to do this. And that this that they used to be so afraid of will start to look nice and they'll want to learn that. Are you listening to me? Sometimes that's the first step. I'm being honest with you. And then you start to teach a man how to be a husband. How many good men are in this church today? But how many of you, many of you came to this church not knowing what it was like to be a husband or a good man? I look at many men in this church. I knew you before I would trust you. Man, when you first came here, I wouldn't even trust you to watch my dog. Now I see you married with kids and we had a part to play in that in Jesus' name. That's because God did something great in your life, didn't he? All you knew how to do was play video games, pass gas, and drink Mountain Dew all night. And now you're entrusted with another life and to protect and preserve and provide for your family. Well, what did you have to do? And I'm being honest, many men are afraid of that commitment. They're afraid to take that step of faith. But they have to begin to desire it more than they want to stay where they're at. In actuality, we are always following our greatest desires. If your greatest desire in life is comfort, then you'll never attempt anything daring. You'll stay just right where you are, and you won't need much faith for that. But if you desire something outside of what you have normally seen, as the old saying goes, if you want to see something you've never seen, do something you've never done. If you want to do that, you have to start applying your faith, don't you? You have to be willing to walk on water. But how many know Peter got wet that day? But how many know he still walked on water? How many have gotten wet, but you've walked on water? You see, the Bible is not teaching us that the world will always go the way that we want it, but it's teaching us to dare and to do great things. Can I hear an amen? Amen. In closing with me, go now to verse 17 of the same chapter. The resurrection life gives us hope today beyond the scope of our human limitation to have faith in God's facts, to believe God over whatever we're feeling, and to trust him in the midst of our suffering. Christ is with us. We're not alone. He has risen, and we will rise too in Jesus' name. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges every person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. That sentence could be a sermon all by itself. We call upon the father in Jesus' name, but that father is going to judge every one of the works we did in this world. If we are Christians, we'll still go to heaven, but many of our works will be burned up unless we did what God asked us to do by faith. All that binge watching will be burned up. You're not taking that as a reward to heaven. But every time you prayed, that becomes a reward in heaven. Do you all see how it works? Every time you were at your job and you worked for your own self, your own benefit, your own selfish ambition, all those rewards will be lost. But if on your job you sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that job will become a part of your rewards in heaven. Are you listening? Amen. Let this encourage you today. 
Every time that you faced your fears in the midst of suffering, you still held on to faith. You didn't allow the world to snuff out your candle. You kept burning it bright, setting it on the table or a hill for all to see. You'll be rewarded for your steps of faith, even if at times you failed in faith. Let's think about it before I preach this right here. Come on, let's think about it. Does God reward us for steps of faith even if we fail? I believe he does. How many of you ever helped a child learn to walk? When they didn't take the first steps right, did you just call them a failure and a loser and then walk away from them? No. How many know they were winners even while they were failing? Because every step that they were attempting to take in itself was the win. I could park right here for a few moments. Let me just encourage some of you right now. The resistance and the failure doesn't mean you're a failure or you're a loser. It just shows you that you're growing and that you're gaining. Do not let your setbacks become what keeps you down. Let your setbacks become setups for what God has. Don't let those cheesy sayings go past you right now. Receive them in Jesus' name. Amen? Because I sense some of you, even here today, you're maybe on your last straw with God, you're on your last straw with the church, or trying to do discipleship and so forth. And I'm telling you, if you just keep getting up and taking those steps, you will be amazed at where you are a year from now. Do not give up while you are doing good things for the Lord. In due season, you will reap a harvest. Amen. Can I encourage you today? Just felt that in my heart. But going back to that example of the child, every step that that child's attempting to make is a win. The stumbles and the fall do not make the child any less. The child has to go through those to learn how to eventually run. Do you know how many muscles and brain activity are involved in just what we do every day and such things as running? Do you know how much your brain is firing? Your brain is at the level of its peak performance, oftentimes at exercise. That's why they say exercise can jolt a person out of depression and anxiety quicker than medication and counseling. They say to incorporate this into your life because the brain is at a heightened state. Are you all listening to me? But how did you learn to coordinate? How did your brain learn to put those things together with its signals so that while your foot is lifting, this one is, is still staying steady? And then as this one lifts, this one is staying steady. I mean, it's a marvel just to watch us run. Are you listening? The marvel of the human body. And yet we had to learn to trust in that process, did you not? Was that not a process of faith? And yet you were not even aware that that was going on. You were just taking the hands of mama and you were just doing this. And then now we run a four-minute mile. Praise God. This is what some of you are like right now in, in faith. You're new to it, and you ought not to be discouraged. Keep walking. Learn to run. And I know you watch others run, and you're like, I wish I could run like them. How many have ever been jogging with somebody? You wish you could jog like them? Am I the only one? Only a few of you have gone jogging with somebody. I went jogging with somebody who now, as an older man, like he's my age now, he made a life goal to run 100 miles straight, okay? This was the kind of guy I went jogging with one time. <laughs> What he called a jog, I call a sprint, get out of Dodge. We, I said, man, he was an intern with me. He said, hey, pastor, do you like to jog? I said, sometimes. So uh, he said, would you like to go jogging with me? And I said, sure. And then we just went out into the yard, you know, stretched a little bit. And then he said, okay, let's go. I'm serious. He was by that wall by the time I just started to do this. I'm being 100. I'm being 100. What he called a jog, I call a sprint, get me out of here. 
And then I thought to myself, there's no way this dude keeps this pace. So I tried as hard as I could to keep up with him to just to see what he would do. He did that the entire time. As I told you, he ran 100 miles straight later on in life. He met his bucket goal. That was his, on his bucket list. Okay, now listen. He didn't get like that overnight. He didn't get like that overnight. How many times do you think he got tired when he was learning to run like that? You see, oftentimes we look at people that have it like that, and we think they got a special leg up in life, and really all they did was just stick with the plan. They didn't give up. They kept getting up and showing up and putting in the work. Are you listening? And I know a lot of times in church, we just want it to be like pulling a magic, you know, pulling the rabbit out the hat. You just want to come here and have me take my magic wand and bop you on the head with enough faith to go through your situation. But the only way you're going to get that faith to go through the situation is if you learn how to suffer through it now. That's the only way. That doesn't mean we won't help or carry the burdens with you. And now, once again, I'm not saying everything is because you've done something wrong. I hope you're hearing my heart here today. I'm just saying there are things you will not learn how to have the faith to go through them unless you go through them. You don't, you don't get that kind of faith without going through the thing. You don't, you don't leapfrog over this. If you want that kind of faith, you have to go through these kinds of things. That's why when we look up to Jesus and the resurrection, what did he go through? What kind of faith did he have to have in the Father to trust him? That he could be crucified as the Son of God and be raised from the dead. Talk about trusting your Father. How many know that was an act of faith for Abraham to Isaac? And he was about ready to go that far with it, but the Father said, No, I just wanted to test your heart to see if you would do what I have to do. And how many know the Father had to do it one day? Offer up his Son for us. So since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in Reverend Fear, meaning this world is not our home. We are going home to be with Jesus one day, and so we ought not to be intimidated to work for Jesus when we know that we'll be rewarded. So get up and do something for God. Amen? Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. That means to be bought out of slavery, to be paid for. We were all slaves of the devil and Jesus bought us, but you were not bought with such perishable things like silver and gold that can be burned up with fire from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus. You and I were purchased by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And now watch, here it is to tie it all together. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Do you trust him? Amen. Do you trust him? Vinny, would you come quickly in closing? Thank you for sharing uh, Resurrection Sunday today with uh, your family with us here. But I want to ask you, do you trust him? Because that right here is where the rubber meets the road. Do you trust the same God, the Father, that Jesus had to trust when he was on the cross? Oftentimes people say they do, but when... They are in those situations where the feelings override the facts of God's reality. That's where the test comes. And so you and I have to determine in our heart, I will put my faith and hope in God. No matter what I feel, no matter what happens, 
if he raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise me out of this situation. Amen? I don't know what our uh, young people have to look forward to in this next generation, but I know Jesus will raise them up. I know Jesus will be with them. They may face tests that would be for us our worst nightmares. They may have challenges ahead of them that would scare most of us right here. But I know God is going to be with them. And the same thing is with whatever you and I face. We hear this all the time when we uh, deal with loss in our church. We hear this all the time. People will say, "He, Jesus, talking about Jesus, I never knew Jesus was more than enough and all that I needed until he was all that I had. Are you listening? I hear people say it, that maybe not as the one-liner, but they say it all the time. I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until he was all I had. Because God is faithful. God doesn't allow us to go through things that we are not able to handle with him. It's impossible without him, but with him all things are possible. And so what scary situations are you facing today that you would consider are like your cross? It's okay to make that as a personal example. I know some preachers say, no, nothing compared to Jesus' cross. He literally told us to pick up our cross. So it's not sacrilegious to say, man, this marriage is like me carrying my cross. Just make sure you say it in agreement with your wife or your husband. (laughs) But if it's really that bad, we got your back. Some people go like this in church. This is my cross, and they point to their husband. That's what I'm talking about. you got to be careful with that, okay? This is the cross I bear, Pastor. You don't know. It's a hard cross. But teenagers, you may think about your school. My high school is the cross I bear, and that, and that is true. I believe that once you and I realize what is our cross, what is our place of death and suffering, once we're honest with it, we can begin to have faith and hope for God to bring resurrection. So don't live in denial. Don't deny your cross. Don't think you're being negative. You're not manifesting your destiny if you speak of it. No, speak of what is the cross you're carrying. And come to Christ. uh, Come to the Father in the name of Christ. And say, Father, you delivered Jesus from this cross. You raised him from the dead so that that cross is empty. I pray that this cross in which I bear right now, you would deliver me from this situation that you would show yourself strong in my life. I remember burying a young lady's, a young girl's parents, both of them. She was in my youth group, and both of her parents died because of drugs at different times. Can you imagine what it was like to be her, losing both of your parents? How many know that would be a nightmare? All right, that's a nightmare for me. I don't know, no more. I don't know about you, but that's a nightmare. Both my parents on drugs? And then they both die, and I'm only 18, 19 years old, I'll wake up from that with cold sweats. Come on, let's be honest. But what did she learn during that time? Is that she could rejoice in Jesus, who had carried his cross, and the Father delivered him, and that the Father would do the same for her. Now guess what? Number one, she's never done drugs. She had a perfect attendance in high school, got married to a beautiful man, has wonderful children, and works as a social worker with a master's degree. Let's give it up for what Jesus can do in somebody's life. 
any point, at any point, she could have stopped rejoicing in God's goodness. At any point, she could have said, this is too much to bear. I'm going to go join my sisters or my friends, and I'm going to go live this kind of life. At any moment, she could have said, I want out. But what did she do? She looked to the cross, to the example of the cross. If Christ could be crucified and raised from the dead, then I can carry this cross with Christ and see Christ raise this situation to life. In Jesus' name. A time for another story before second service joins us. One more maybe to encourage you. I remember Cynthia Rodon coming to church because her daughter heard about us here at Prosser. This is Prosser down the road, correct? Amen. And Cynthia Jr. heard about us because we were handing out flyers, handing out flyers. So she started coming to church as a teenager. Then she brought her mom, okay? And then now watch this. Her mom brought her mom. Three generations in the church. Isn't that beautiful? And I had it in my heart for one Easter that it was going to be the greatest Easter service of your life. At first, it kind of sounded funny because I saw all my friends doing these things for Easter, and I just said, I want to take it to the next level. This is going to be the greatest Easter service of your life. And I actually put it on flyers. I actually had people from the church handing it out. And we were in a small church storefront like this, and it didn't even look this nice, and it was only about this much was in the church, but it was going to be the greatest Easter service of your life. How many know that took some faith? Amen. And Cynthia Jr., Cynthia Sr., and then the grandmother came, all three generations. When it was time to ask those there who wanted to give their heart to Jesus, the grandmother accepted Jesus into her heart for the first time. That was the greatest Easter service of her life. And a few months later, she passed. And this pastor went to the Boricua funeral for the Iguela. I felt so honored. Here I am, the gringo. All of the Puerto Ricans looking at me going, what are you doing here, Pastor? You better not mess it up. That's my abuela. That's my abuela. You can ask Cynthia and Cynthia Jr. how the pastor did. But in that time, I got the revelation. All it takes is this much faith. It sounded crazy to everybody around me. How in the world are you going to say this is the greatest Easter service of somebody's life you're not going to have the camels. You're not going to have the person come down from the, you know, from the rafters. You have no video production. You have no choir. But the Lord was testing my heart. Joe, do you believe I can save a soul? And one soul is worth more than the entire world. I would go to the cross just for that one. The Lord was asking me, would I believe it? You see, I want to ask you now to believe God in the same way for what you have in front of you today. Do you believe this year can be the greatest year of your life? Do you believe that your marriage can have the greatest love story that anyone has ever heard? Do you believe that young people, you can see the greatest days of your high school ahead that no eye has seen nor ear has heard? Do you believe that the best is still in front of us? That God can do a work in Chicago? That the names on your friends' lips and the followers, that uh, the people that they're following are Christians instead of these sinners? That's what it will take 
for you to believe that God is able. And then as we go out these doors and we face suffering, we're not surprised. Like as if, and Peter says, we're not surprised as if something strange is happening to us. We're ready for it. Oh, I guess it's time for my shine to get a little bit brighter. I'm going to get my shine on. I'm going to go from glory to glory. My iron is going to get sharper. I'm going to be going through a test, and then I'll have a testimony in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. Band and altar workers, would you come? Second service, thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing everyone here. We pray now we'll live a life of faith. We pray, Lord, we'll have a hope beyond the scope of the human limitations of this world. That if you, Father, could raise Jesus from the dead, you can raise up these situations and bring new life right now. In the name of Jesus, right now as we're praying, I'm going to ask if you don't know the Lord to call out on him right now and ask him to save you. If Jesus was raised from the dead, you can get spiritual new life and be born again right now. If that's you, just begin to call out to Jesus and say, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. In a few moments, you'll be welcome to come up here and receive prayer. For those of us who already know Jesus, would you look at your heart right now and see if you're all in or if there are things you're holding back? Are you comfortable or are you confronting the things of your life? Right now, it's time for some exposure therapy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, let God expose you to the plans that he has for you. To do the things like the Bible did and the Bible characters. For you to be like a Noah. For you to be like a David. For you to be like an Abraham. you got to step out. Right now, right now, let the Lord encourage you. You may not always feel like it. But you can have faith in the reality of what God will do in your life. The Bible talks about his hope never disappoints. You won't be disappointed a few moments right now. Those who don't know Jesus, come to Jesus in prayer. And those who already know him, believe God for great big things this year. This can be the greatest year of your life. And that doesn't mean everything goes the way you want it. That doesn't mean everything is easy. It just means you're going to get closer to God than you ever have before. It just means that he's going to use you in new ways this year. It's not the same old, same old. You're doing all things as unto the Lord. A few more moments. Dream big in this Easter service with me. Come on, God is able. If he rose Christ from the dead, what do you have faith in today for him to rise up? What do you have hope in today? If it's in God's word, it's more real than the problems you're facing. The problems will come and go, but God's word will remain forever. A few moments of prayer right now can make this a life-changing Easter service for you. Feel free to come up at any point as we begin to worship, as we dismiss. But don't leave out of here the same way you came in Jesus' name.